We spent most of our time again in Luke chapter 5 last week, the first of these instances. And now for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time in John chapter 21. And I want to read that to you, John 21, beginning with verse 1. Again, this is after Jesus had been uh, crucified, after he was resurrected. And you'll see what happens uh, in this uh, passage here. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat. And, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The older, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Verse 1 tells us this word, or says this word. The verse 1 tells us that Jesus appeared again to his disciples. What that is saying is that after he was crucified, after he died and rose again, he appeared to his disciples. The fact is, according to just a few verses after this passage here, this would be the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. So after he had uh, risen again. So here it is. They had already seen with their own eyes. They had already heard with their own ears that Jesus was alive. They knew that. When Jesus appeared to them here on on the uh, edge of the, the lake. And remember, too, that these men are the men who had lived with Jesus Christ for more than three years. And with their own eyes and with their own ears and with their own skin, they had witnessed and participated in things that you and I can't even get our mind around. I mean, we read these things and and the words may impact us, but to have experienced them, to have been present, to have heard the things that they heard and see the things that they saw and feel the things that they felt, it would be another story. You know, they had been hooked by Jesus, these disciples of his, and they had followed him around for three years. They had been right there when Jesus healed More people than I know how to count for you. Because every day Jesus healed people. It was supernatural. It wasn't just something like Jesus would say something and they would feel better. Somebody would come in crippled and they would walk away walking. Somebody would come in blind and they would walk away seeing. The hearing would hear. They watched him do this day after day after day. 
They were with him and right next to him when he performed mighty miracles and they experienced these things. There were also other amazing miracles like changing barrels of ordinary water into fine wine. Casting demons out of the possessed, speaking to a storm in angry waves, and the waves and the storm obeyed his voice, revealing people's private thoughts, predicting events that would happen, and they would happen exactly as he told them they would. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed multitudes of people. They were present when he took one lunch and he fed multitudes of families. They were present when he did things like that. They were there when he called dead people out of their tombs or raised the dead as the funeral procession was going. They were present when Jesus made that happen. They were even there when Jesus had Peter pay taxes by having him go fishing, pulling a fish out of the lake over. Opening the mouth of a fish and there was the tax money. I mean the miracles that they saw. The things that they got to participate in. The things that they got to experience while walking with Jesus were absolutely incredible. Some of them watched were up on a mountain with Jesus when he was transfigured before them. And they literally saw him talking to Moses and Elijah. Men who had been dead for hundreds of years. They watched these amazing things. They were right there to hear him teach. And when Jesus taught, those who heard him teach said that it was unlike any teaching they had ever heard before. What an astounding experience it must have been to go daily with Jesus and hear the power of his words, the relevance of the stories that he told, the accuracy, his Command of the scriptures. No one taught like Jesus taught. He was a master teacher and his teaching was full of authority. And their hearts at times, I'm sure, beat hard in their chest as they listened to Jesus teach. And Jesus personally taught them how to pray. He lived with them. And then he would empower them to cast out demons and to heal and to do amazing things. They had lived with Jesus. They had seen and experienced things firsthand that you and I would not be able to really put our mind around. We've, we see things, we experience things, and thank God for the miracles that we have been witness to. But every single day, they were with him. And Jesus empowered them to do amazing things. It was an experience. They watched his compassion. They experienced it. They had gone with Jesus in what we now know as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. What a day that was for them. And yes, they were there when they crucified him. But they had also already celebrated the fact and celebrated it through a temptation of disbelief that Jesus was alive again. He had appeared twice to them. He had come and appeared right before them. They had seen Thomas had thrust his hands into holes where the nails were and where the spear went into his side. Thomas had gotten down on his knees and cried out, my Lord and my God. And then we come to our passage of scripture here in verse three. And we read, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And I want to say, really? 
Really, after all that you've experienced, after all that's happening, what your response to do to all that the Lord has shown you, to the fact that he has come back and he is alive and and all that God has brought you through, really what you are going to do is go fishing. And that's exactly what they did. I'm going out to fish and they followed along. They went with him and they fished all night, the Bible says. There's some observations I want to make about people. And there's one observation I want to make about Jesus in this sermon. And I'll make it pretty quick for you here today. But I ask you to pay attention. I want you to remember that in this series, we're talking about how the Lord has hooked so many of us. How the Lord has captured our attention and has drawn us in because of his greatness, because of his love, because of his mercy. And there are a lot of you here today. Praise God. He's hooked you. You're his. He loves you. You love him. You have a relationship with him. And we've talked about the power of that. I'm so glad that I'm hooked on Jesus. I want you to know I'm glad for that. But I want you to see these men who were hooked. I want you to watch what happens. And I want to make some observations about human beings. First of all, I want to say to you that as human beings, it's in our nature to check out and to go back. It's in our nature to check out and go back. After all that they had experienced, after Jesus had hooked them, after they had been seen or all that they had seen and heard. And after they knew that Jesus was risen from the dead, after Jesus promised them that they would do greater things than they had seen him do. They decided to go back to fishing, back to fishing. They went back. Back to what was comfortable for them. Back to what they used to do before they knew Jesus. Back to the old place. Back to the same old, same old. Back to the status quo. Back to the temporal. Back to what they knew. Back to where they they had the same disordered priorities in their lives. They went back. They checked out. And I want to tell you that it is in people's nature to check out. It's in people's nature to go back. I'm not trying to be overly critical of the disciples at this point. I have no room to do so, I promise you. But it seems that when things got intense for them, when things got confusing for them, they sort of were trying to check out on him and going back to the life that they had before they knew him. They seem to have forgotten all that Jesus had told them and and forgotten what it means to be part of the God of God, the father's kingdom. They seem to have forgotten who they are now. Have we have we started to go back? Have we gone back to the comfortable back to the same old same old back to the status quo back to the temporal back to what we know have have we gone back because people do that christians do that church i want you to hear me say that it happens i've seen people do it over and over again people who will just go back we lose our passion the passion that we once had for the lord when we were hooked by him we can lose it and we can start to go back back to our old habits back to our old haunts Back to our old ways. We lose our zeal. We lose our exi- our excitement. Our intensity of, of a sense of destiny can fade in our lives. And we can drift backwards in our lives. And we can revert back to the life that we were living. Some even go back to the sins that had them on the road of destruction before they were hooked by Jesus. 
Because it just seems to be in our nature that when things get intense, when things get confusing, when things become more difficult, it seems to be in people's nature to withdraw from God, to go back to their their comfortable lifestyle. And the thing is, my friends, that is not God's mindset. God's mindset, the, the kingdom values, the way that God sets us up is for us to go forward. To move forward, not back. We never were meant to go back. When when you read scriptures uh, of the, about the armor of God, we are protected from the front. We're not to turn our backs. We're not to go back. There's nothing protected back here. All this is protected. We're here to face the enemy, face difficult days, and move forward. We're created that way, and it is our destiny. One person who understood this was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the fact, and and it's recorded in Scripture for us, that he had lost everything to follow Jesus. And you know how he looked at all that he had lost and Paul had lost? He had lost friends, family. He had lost position. He had lost prestige. He had lost money. He had lost everything. All of his wealth was gone. And he got down to the point where he only had the clothes on his back, physically speaking. And you know what he, how he counted it? You know what he thought of it? He says, I count that all rubbish that I may know Jesus. His eyes were cast forward and he had a missional look on his face. He knew what God wanted out of him. He always looked forward. He burned every bridge behind him so he couldn't go back. And that's how he he believed and he reviewed his view on living for Jesus to the church that met in Philippi when he said in Philippians chapter 3, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, it being glory in heaven, it being absolute perfection with God. I don't believe that I've taken a hold of it, but the one thing I do, listen, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. My point here to you is this, and I'm speaking for a moment to biblical Christians, to those of you who have been hooked. The mindset of a Christian, if you're, we're going to have Christ's mindset, is to press on, not to check out. It is to move forward and not revert back to our old ways. Let me say this to you because this is what the disciples, I'm jumping ahead of my sermon, but this is exactly what the disciples discovered. They would never be the same after Jesus hooked them. And you will never be the same. Because he doesn't just hook you just to drag you around. When he hooked these men, he changed them. He created new people out of them. They weren't fishermen anymore. And they weren't supposed to be fishing for fish anymore. Do you remember last week what I told you? When, when Jesus looked in the eye of Peter. And Peter. This is in the first incident in Luke chapter 5. Peter sees Jesus. Jesus fills his net. And Peter gets on his knees. And he says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to have you near me. Jesus said, Peter, don't be afraid. Because from now on. You're going to fish for men. You're not a fisherman anymore, Peter. I'm transforming you. I'm making you something you weren't. And you'll never be a fisherman again. 
And praise God, three and a half years later, the Lord is saying the same thing to them. And that's something that they are discovering. Because why? It is in our nature to check out. But it is in, in, in God's economy to have us press on, move forward, and go away from what we used to be. You're not what you used to be. Praise God. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that you're not defined by your past? Jesus doesn't look at you that way. If he's hooked you and forgiven you and brought you in, you are brand new. He has given you a new life. You're not that anymore. Others may look at you and think that, but they're wrong. That's not who you are anymore. You are God's child. And you don't have to go back. You don't have to revert back. You can go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And I tell you that from my heart because I love you. And it's better going forward than going back. Let me tell you. What's behind you needs to stay behind you. It's no good. But what's ahead of you is glorious if you will listen and obey and follow the Lord. Don't check out. Oh, we can do that. We get disappointed. We don't think things are going the way we thought they should. The disciples believed that Jesus had come to set up God's kingdom on the earth and that they were going to get to be some of the generals to his army. They were really excited about the possibilities. And then Jesus messed it all up and got himself crucified. And everything was disappointing to them. They couldn't understand. And even after Jesus rose again, still that dream in their mind of one day ruling with Jesus had not been sifted through. They were still dealing with the the, the intensity of an angry Roman government that was probably going to come after them in their minds. And so what do they do? They go back. They check out. And Peter says, I'm just going to go be a fisherman. And the thing is, they could no more go back to fishing and be the same as it used to be than you or I can because Jesus has already gotten a hold of us. And aren't you glad for that today? I am so glad that the Lord does that for us. It is in our nature to check out. It is in our nature to go back. But, oh, we need to be careful. I'm asking you to consider having a forward gaze and press on. Toward the goal that God has for you. Listen to me please. This summer is going to be approaching pretty soon. And I want you to hear me. As your pastor. I think it's a good thing when you go on vacation. You get away. You have a little time to kind of slow down. You're not at work for a week or so. Isn't that awesome? Who doesn't want that? I do. I'm looking forward to vacations that I have on my little calendar. But don't check out. Don't check out on God. And don't go back to your old ways just because you're on vacation. Because you never vacation from Christ. Do you hear me? You can, you can honor God and move forward spiritually on a vacation. It really can happen. Don't check out. Don't go back. Don't say, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of attitude. Don't be like that. You're a child of the king. Don't mess your life up. Always press on for the glory of God. Second observation we need to remember. It is in others people, other people's nature to follow our, our example. Peter got up and he, say, he announced to his uh, companions, I'm going out to go fishing. I'm going fishing. And the others immediately were influenced by that and said, we're going to go too. That sounds like a great idea. And so one man's opinion is formed into a mob of people going out fishing. 
And I know this may seem a little bit implausible to you, but I want to remind you that you impact others' motivation to stay on mission if you are on mission. And you impact their motivation to stay on mission if you're not on mission, if you check out. Other people are watching you, and maybe we don't like that. Other people are influenced by your life, and maybe we don't like that, but it is true. In addition to other Christians, your family watches you, and your friends are watching you, and your oikos is watching you. Every one of them is influenced by what you choose to do. So, if your friends decide to go jump in a lake and drown, are you going to follow them? That was my mother's go-to line. When I would say to mom, I wanted something uh, or I wanted to do something that everybody else was doing or I wanted to possess something that everybody else had. That was my mom's go to line. And what I was demonstrating in my desires was how powerful of an influence that others had on me at that age. Man, if others were doing it, I felt like I had to do it. Can I get a witness here? Have we ever been there? If others had it, I thought I should have it. Now, let me just tell you, I came from a different era when it comes to cool, cool fashion and cool clothes, okay? I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you that in the 1970s, that's when I was a teenager, and tell me when in the course of American history there were uglier clothes on young people than in the 1970s. They were hideous. They were terrible. What was in style back then for shoes, for dudes in my school, is if you could get yourself some good kids, they were pretty cool. Better yet, Converse Chucky Taylors, baby. That was the shoe. That was the shoe to have. And when you went to Kmart and got a blue light special that looked a little bit like Converse's, it wouldn't do. You know, you weren't cool. And it was the same kind of rules that people have today. Back in my day, that I don't know why, but in my school, guys wore bell bottoms. And I'm not talking about little flares. They belled out, man. It was ridiculous. It looked like upside down parachute pants or something. And your legs all belled out. And it was really cool for dudes to wear platform shoes and I had a pair that the soles were this thick on like I was some kind of special baby I don't even know where I got my hands on these shoes and you walk and you break your ankles forget running I mean it was just crazy how do you ladies walk in high heels anyway but that was cool and belts man back then in the day belts had to be wide there weren't any skinny little belts like this big old belt buckles gigantic belt and guys would whip them things off to whip each other with these things. It was awful, but <clears throat> that was installed. And back then, the, the thing to wear, there were a couple of things, but one of the cool things to have was a silk shirt with really, really wide lapels and flowers all over them. The ugliest clothes, like purple pants and like some green flowers on your shirt and, and hairstyles, man, like my afro. I wore an afro. <laughs> I know, right? But it Honestly, if I grow my hair out, it starts to get all wavy and kinky and curly. And so I really didn't have an afro, but it was a, a white boy's afro, the best I could grow it. And it was all, it looked like a palm tree. It was flat on top and it was just bushy. Okay, and look, look, I'm telling you the truth. My nickname in high school for a while was Q-Tip because 
I know. Because I was so incredibly thin. And I would wear these skin-tight shirts. Stupid. I would wear these tight shirts and these ugly clothes. And I wore platform shoes. Made me look even skinnier. And then, then I had this big bushy hair. And I looked like a Q-tip. I honestly did. I don't even know why I went all the hell all the way through this. But I'm trying to say to you that, that back in those days, you know, the thing that was cool, the thing that everybody had to have were certain styles of clothing, certain types of belts and bell bottoms and then, and all. I wanted to fit in because I was so easily influenced by other people. Because everybody else did it, I felt like I needed to do it. And let me tell you something. We are influenced by other people. I want to say this, and I'm not beating you up, okay? But I am going to tell you the truth. Many of us here right now are in this. We're overly influenced by other people. We let them move us around. Oh, we're influenced on what clothes we wear, what words we use, what possessions we have, the places we go. And folks, I could go on and on and on on how people influence us. And you know what? It's in others' nature to follow a leader. I'm going fishing. Well, then we're going with you. Do you have any idea how many pastors today are trying to be Andy Stanley? It's kind of silly. And I'm not saying Andy Stanley's a bad pastor. He's an awesome pastor. I love him. I respect him. I'm never going to try to be him. I'm not. I'm not him. And he can't be me. All I know to do is be me. I think I told you about when God called me into ministry. and I was very, very young. And, and I thought, man, if I'm going to be a preacher, I better learn how to preach. And so where was my source of learning how to preach for a little while? I turned on the radio. And I would listen to these preachers preach and I would mimic their style to the chickens. We had chickens and I'd walk out there and I'd preach to the chickens. And I, I remember the, some of the progressions I went through trying to be a preacher because God called me to preach. I knew that. So I better come up with a style. And there was this guy that I turned on the radio and I don't remember his name. I, I honestly don't. But I nicknamed him Reverend Hack. Because that's what he did. He hacked his way through the sermon. He sounded a little bit like this. I appreciate the fact, y'all, that we have an altar in the church, y'all, a place where we can pray, y'all. And he was spitting and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, man, that's powerful. I got to learn how to do that. I got to, I got, and so I would practice with the chickens. They would run, man, because I was spitting and I was don't run here. And I was doing all that kind of stuff. I listened for a while to that guy. Then I got impressed with another preacher and I practiced that one. I, I, I remember one guy who was an African-American preacher, man. And, and I loved him because he sang some of his sermon. And I loved to sing. And I, and I listened to his church and I listened to the power. And you could feel it and sense it. On the airwaves, just how God was anointing it. And his whole congregation got into his sermons. It was interactive. And I said, ooh, that is awesome. So he would get up in front of his church. Who woke you up this morning? And the whole congregation would go, Jesus, who puts a smile on your face? Jesus. And oh, I said, that's the guy. And I started singing to the chickens. 
and they bucked back at me. You know, why? Because I was so influenced by other people. And finally, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Ken, I have not called you to be Billy Graham or Reverend Hack or this this African-American pastor because I already have them. I need you to be Ken. You don't need to be like David trying on Saul's armor. You're not Saul. I just want you to be you. And I'll use you to what extent I want to use you. And you don't have to be so worried about the scope of your influence. You just have to be the best that you can be for me. I hope some of us are listening today. Because that's what it is. I'm telling you that it is in people's um, uh, nature to follow our example. Let me just talk to you about our particular church. When one of our numbers check out, when they go away... We feel it deeply. And I'm not just talking about leaving our church. I mean leaving the faith. That hurts. Why? Because we love one another. We don't just notice it. We grieve in our hearts because when a Christian checks out, that's a bad thing. When they go back, it's a bad thing for them and it's bad for our body, our church. We're connected. We're family. So we are effective when one of our numbers checks out on us and decides that they're done. It's that kind of influence that you have. People are watching you. Sometimes people check out and others follow. And I don't want to stand before God and be responsible because not only I checked out, but others followed my example. I don't want that to happen. That's just the way people are. And of course, the opposite is true, my friends. When someone doesn't check out, it inspires others. Aren't you inspired by people going through confusing, intense times who stay the course? They don't quit on God. They keep going. They keep pressing on. It's hard. And you know it's hard for them. And they still follow the Lord with a heart for God. They keep their eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of their faith. That's inspirational. That helps me. That influences me. So if you want to influence somebody, influence them for the glory of God. Amen. Don't give up. Don't check out. Don't go back to fishing. Don't do it. Finally, let me give you some good news because, you know, when you talk about people, a lot of times it's kind of eh, our nature and all that. Eh. But let me tell you something good about Jesus Christ. It is in God's nature to tug the line. I wonder if some of you are sitting here thinking, well, is he ever going to get to like the theme of this message? Well, I've just arrived. Last week I talked about hook. This week I'm talking about the line. And I bet you you can guess what I'm going to talk about next week. Okay, the sinker. That's right. Somebody said it. Yes, it is in God's nature to tug the line. Jesus did not let his disciples forget who they are. Jesus did not let his disciples forget whose they are. He had them hooked. The last time that they were in this scenario, he hooked them. But this time he's giving a big tug on the line to remind them they belong to him. They are on the line, if you will, with Jesus. I want you to remember what Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 says. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In a quick search, I found no less than 10 passages of Scripture where the Lord said of himself that he is a jealous God. I found six other passages where a patriarch or a prophet referred to God as a jealous God. That's the word, jealous. 
Now, not jealous in the ugly sense of the word. We think of jealous and we think of that's an ugly thing and distrustful and that kind of thing. No, I'm talking about the kind of jealousy that a mom has for their child. If you want to get physically hurt, mess with a mother's kid. Amen. That's a stupid thing to do. Even if they're born again, I'm just going to give you a hint. They can be the most saintly woman in this church. Mess with their child and something different happens. Something bad is going to happen to you. Because mama bear's going to come out. And it's, it's a painful experience for anybody within. It's sort of like a nuclear bomb. It goes off and everybody gets hurt. So I, I never want to mess with a mama's kid. Why? Because there's this jealousy that she has. She has a love for her child that is hard to describe. Am I, am I telling the truth, mothers? Uh, there's a jealousy for their child. You're not going to hurt their child without them stepping up. And it's, it's just the way it is. It's that kind of jealousy I'm talking about. God has a red face, intense jealousy, love for you. He's hooked you. You belong to him. You think he's just going to let you walk out of his life? No way. And so his name is Jealous. He has a love for you. He has an intensity for you that you and I cannot fully understand. Jesus was not going to let these men forget who they belonged to and what they had been changed to do, what they had been called to. It wasn't to fish for fish anymore. I don't think it's by accident they didn't catch a thing that night. They weren't fishermen anymore. Their calling was to fish for men. Here are the Lord's men. And he finds them early in the morning fishing on the same body of water out of the probably one of the same boats, maybe. And Jesus finds them there uh, three years later doing the same thing after his resurrection. They're living out the same scenario. They fished all night with futility. And Jesus used virtually the very same miracle and the same word, if you will, to them to tug the line. He sort of made fun of them. You caught any fish, friends? No. It's because you're not fishermen anymore. And he brings them up and they sit there. And the Bible says, I love this recognition. When he tells what Jesus says, go ahead and throw it, uh, those nets on the right-hand side. And they pull up so many fish, they are not strong enough to pull them aboard. And I love that John looks at Peter and he goes, well, it's the Lord. I love that. He knew who it was. He recognized Jesus tugged that line. And oh, I know that tug. That's the Lord. What a powerful thing. And the moment that this man, Peter, who had, by the way, just been weeping over the fact that he denied knowing Jesus. That had not been dealt with. I think the other two times that Jesus appeared, maybe Peter kind of hung back a little bit. Feeling unworthy, feeling like he really had blown it and didn't know how to say anything to Jesus. I think we've been there, haven't we? <laughs> kind of hanging back. But something overcame him with this miracle. Deja vu. I've been here before and I've experienced this. This is how he hooked me. And Peter couldn't contain himself. And the Bible says that he he wrapped his outer garment around himself in a way that he could keep it from falling off. And he jumped right out of the boat. 
And I just have to wonder as he's making his way to Jesus, if his mind didn't flash to another time he climbed out of a boat and walked on water to Jesus. I don't know. He made his way to the shore. And there Jesus had breakfast waiting for these men. And we'll look at that conversation that Jesus has with them. But I'm just saying to you that it is in God's nature to tug the line when we drift away. And I say, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for God who's jealous over you? Aren't you glad for God that doesn't just let you go back without comment? He loves you today. He doesn't go good riddance. Ah, they never were mine. That's not who Jesus is, is it? He loves us. And so he tugged that line. And they experienced all of this. They get to the shore. They see that the resurrected Savior has has breakfast ready for him. And nobody says a word because they know who it is. And Jesus was in his glorified body. It was hard to recognize whether it was the same Jesus or not. But they knew. And the Bible says they didn't say a word. Do you want to, by the way, hazard a guess to how many times the scriptures speak about the uh, disciples ever fishing again after this event? Zero. They never went back to fishing. At least it's not mentioned in scripture. And I would venture a guess. I almost am positive they never went back on a fishing boat to fish for fish anymore. Jesus had tugged the line and had reminded them, you're not fishermen anymore, Peter. You're not a fisherman, John James. You're not fishermen anymore. You are mine. You're my disciple, and I have a destiny for you. The Lord reminds us today that he has called us and he has hooked us. You know what? The Bible does tell us what they did after this event. The Bible tells us that after this event, the disciples gathered together and they were in prayer in an upper room and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them with some other people. And God poured his power into them and they went on to experience a revival in their hearts. They went on to experience the living power of the Holy Spirit. They went on to fish for men with great effectiveness and their destiny was sealed and changed forever they went on to build the church of jesus christ we're not here if they don't do what they do they go on to be who god wants them to be they go on to their destiny after the lord tugged the line the lord reminds us we can't go back to what we once were because we've crossed over and there is no back in his economy and the way that he thinks. We're called to something better. We're called to something higher. You don't have to be what you were before and you don't have to go there anymore. You're something better than that. God has redeemed you. He has called you heavenward. He has a journey for you. He has a destiny for you and you can live for him. I want you to know that. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 refers to Christ's followers as aliens. And strangers in this world. Why? Because we're an aberration in this world. We're not what the rest of the world is. Do you understand that here, even in the United States of of America, our way of living for Christ is becoming more and more strange to the eyes of our culture. We are running counterculture right now. And we will run even more counterculture as we hold on to the scriptural teachings about family we are viewed as, as uh, something weird, extreme, something out of touch. And by the way, don't be upset when mainstream people say you're out of touch with them. 
what I would suggest you do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because I'm not in touch with him. I'm in touch with the king of glory. It's okay that you're in the minority. In fact, it's a glorious thing. Don't be arrogant about it, but be grateful about it. Because I thank God he hooked me one day and I belong to Jesus. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God to salvation. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be what I used to be. I don't even want to go back to yesterday, my friends. I want to move forward. I want to press on. I want to serve the Lord. Is he tugging? Is he tugging? Is there something happening? You have a purpose. You have a destiny. He has called you to follow him. He is saying, if you have stepped back, come back to me. He's tugging that line. Is your passion there or have you checked out? Are you headed backward, back to the familiar, back to the comfortable, back to the easy? Are you tired? Are you worn? Are you weary and well-doing? Then then maybe you're in need of a tug from the Lord God, a reminder that you're not that person anymore. You're somebody new because he created you to be. He has called you. He has called you. He has called you. You are his. And he loves you. Do you need a fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need an experience with Jesus? Maybe somebody here today listen to me preaching. You heard me talk about people being hooked by Jesus. And um, I just want you to know that the Lord would love to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He wants to take all of your sins and separate you from them wash them and make you a brand new person. If you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today could be the day he hooks you and he puts you on a new road and he gives you a new life. He wants to do that. He wants to make you his. But listen, if you have been made his and you find yourself going back and you're struggling maybe you're feeling a tug. And if you are will you hear me? If, if you're feeling a tug at this moment, it's not me. Let me quote John to you. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And that's a tug of love. That's him saying, man, I love you. And I can't just let you go away. I'm not going to watch you walk away. I'm tugging. Don't go back. Come to me. Press on. Trust me. Walk into your destiny with me. Be who I have called you to be. So here's our challenge. What are we going to do, church? Listen, churches can go back. We can. We as a whole organization can just kind of close it up and say, I'm not, uh, this is hard, this is confusing, this is intense. I don't want to do it. I'm not satisfied with that, uh, my dear friends. I don't want to be that church. I want to press on. I want to win people to Christ. I want to make disciples. I want to be an effective church for the glory of God. Are you with me? I pray you are. I pray we are together on this. That this is what we're going to do. We're going to press on. But let me speak to you individually. If there's somebody here and God is tugging, you know. I want you to know you can come back right now to him. You can you can correct your course. He's gracious about it. He's loving about it. But you may need to say, oh, Lord, I feel your tug. I'm just ready for you to captivate me again. 
and get me on track. Oh, God, forgive me and help me move forward now. Closing your eyes, bowing your heads where nobody is bothering you and you're not bothering anyone else. Is there, listen to me carefully, is there one person in here who by lifting your hand would say to me, at this moment, what I am doing, Pastor Ken, for the first time is I am asking Christ to take me and hook me and make me his, to forgive my sins and to, I want to enter into a brand new relationship with Christ for the first time. I want to be born again. And you'll lift your hand where I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Putting our hands down. Is there anyone here who would say, you know what? God's tugging. I feel the tug. I'm a born again believer. But I've been struggling with the intensity of life. And this is just me indicating to God. This is not so that I as a pastor can count your nose today. This is just for you and God. I'm indicating to God by raising my hand. I haven't forgotten God. I love you. And I'm sorry. And I feel your tug. And my answer to you is yes, I'll follow you. I love you. And I'm following you. Hands are going up. Are there any others? Lord, that's my statement to you. I'm ready to follow. I don't want to go back. I want to go forward for you.